the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So, today is Pentecost Sunday, and some of us even remember to wear red. So, well done to those of you who are wearing red. There was supposed to be an email that came out, but I don't know what happened to that. It got lost in the busyness of Friday. So, what can you tell me about Pentecost Sunday? You've probably been to many. 60, 70, some of you. Pentecost Sundays. What can you tell me about them? What's it all about? Sorry? The Holy Spirit descending on us. The Holy Spirit descending on us, yes. Anything else? No, oh, that's... Giving him various abilities, and certainly the piece from First uh, Corinthians, uh, from Paul's letter, that's all about that, the different gifts that the Spirit gives. What was the, the one gift that the Spirit gave according to Luke's account? Not quite. Like We usually think of the gift of tongues as glossolalia, which can be... Uh, can sound like gibberish, but actually on this occasion they could speak the dialects and languages of those who were in Jerusalem, even though they didn't know those languages. So it's a different thing that's what happened on Pentecost as to what Paul is talking about in his letters. And we often get them confused, but they are very different things. Well, there are in fact... Two accounts of the giving of the Spirit, and we heard them both this morning. So Barbara read the one from Luke in Acts, and I read the one from John's Gospel. And they are very different accounts. Last week I talked about how the story of the Ascension is presented very differently across the Gospels and the book of Acts. So Matthew and Mark don't have an Ascension at all. John has it as part of the resurrection, and so Jesus, most of Jesus' resurrection appearances are as the risen and ascended one. And Luke in his gospel has the ascension on Easter Sunday, and then by the time he wrote the book of Acts, had it 40 days later. So he kind of changed his mind. And the same thing is going on today. Matthew and Mark don't have any story about the giving of the Spirit. John, as we heard, wraps it up with the resurrection and ascension. So when Jesus appears to the disciples as the risen and ascended one, he then breathes on them and they receive the Spirit at that point. There's no dramatic thing 50 days later. And the message in John then is that the followers of the way continue to experience the risen and ascended one who continues to give the Spirit, by breathing on them. Luke then is the one that has the giving of the Spirit as a separate event. It's hinted at in the Gospels, but he doesn't describe it in the Gospels. He leaves that to his amazing description, which we heard this morning from the book of Acts. An amazing account. So what are we supposed to do with all of these differences? Well, that all depends on how we read these books. If we read them as history, as we are often want to do, then 
these differences can be a bit of a problem. We want to know when all these things happen. We want to know the accurate timeline. And that's kind of part of our culture, isn't it? We want to know the facts, and the facts should be undisputed. Historical accuracy is important to us. So when we're offered different timelines, we feel like we should choose who's right here. Is John right? Is Luke right in his gospel? Or is Luke right in his second volume, the book of Acts? Who's right? But if we read the Gospels and Acts, not as history, but as, and, but as showing what these events meant, then we can read their timelines not as trying to give an accurate account of when these things happened, not as accurate history, but as carefully constructed stories that help us understand the meaning of these events. And in fact, that's what's happening here. The, the gospel writers were a lot less concerned about the historical accuracy and a lot more concerned about the meaning of these events. And so when Luke and John wrote their accounts of the giving of the Spirit, they wrote it so that it carefully portrayed how they understood the meaning of those events. They were presenting different theologies. And the good thing about presenting different theologies is you don't have to choose between them. And they were never intended to be chosen between. They were offering different facets of the same thing. In fact, the, gospel, the biblical, the people who put together the canon, when they put together that canon, said, don't choose between them. Embrace them all. When we embrace them all, then we begin to have a much richer and fuller understanding both of what these events were about and, through that, the nature of God. These theologies then stand side by side. So this morning I want to spend a little bit of time looking at Luke and how he has constructed his story in the book of Acts. In his construction... He wanted to show what resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Spirit meant. And he does that by using a lot of symbolism. He starts by pushing the date of the ascension out by 50 days, so uh, 40 days. So in his gospel, the ascension happens on Easter Sunday. Straight after the two who had gone to Emmaus return, share stories, Jesus appears, then they go out to Bethany and Jesus ascends. But in Luke, but in Acts, Luke pushes out by 40 days. So where else do we encounter 40 in the Bible? Lent, well, Lent, and the 40 years in the wilderness, the Exodus. That's not an accident, that's a very deliberate thing. Luke is linking the story of Jesus with the Exodus. And then we have 120 followers, which is 12 times 10. So who knows how many followers there were. And Luke wasn't particularly interested in how many followers there were. He was interested in the symbolic number 12. So where is the number 12 found in the Bible? The 12, well, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles because there were 12 tribes of Israel. That wasn't accidental. 
So by using those two numbers, Luke is making this very bold claim that those who put their trust in Jesus are the true Israel. Harking back to the Exodus, which is the foundational story. That is the beginning of the people of God. That is the beginning of the nation of Israel. And 12 tribes. Now, he's not the only one making that claim. The Essenes at the Qumran community also claim to be the true Israelites. And there were other groups as well who claimed that they were the true Israel. But Luke is making that claim. He is saying that this group who puts their faith, puts their trust in Jesus, they will be the ones through whom God will restore humanity and renew creation. And it is a big claim. And then he moves the giving of the Spirit onto the Feast of Pentecost. So the Feast of Pentecost is a Jewish festival. It was then, still is today. It was a harvest festival originally. It was a time of giving thanks for God's provision. It also became the festival which celebrated and marked the gifting of the law on Mount Sinai. So these two things were held together in this one festival called Shavuot or the Festival of Weeks. Now, Luke, uh, Leviticus 23 verses 15 to 22 are where this harvest festival is described. The instructions for it are given. And it is said that it should be held on the seventh Sabbath after Passover. So we have Easter Sunday, and then this is the seventh. We've had seven. Easter Sunday is the first Sunday of Easter, so we've had the seven Sundays of Easter. So this is the seventh Sunday after Easter, and it's because of that seven, seven Shabbats after Passover, which is 50. It's the 50th day. So the name Pentecost is simply the Greek term for 50. Pente meaning 50. So, uh, and Greek was the kind of common language. After Alexander the Great, Greek became the common language around the eastern seaboard uh, of the Mediterranean and further inland, even, even in the time of the Roman Empire. It's one of the reasons why the Roman Empire split, because the east spoke Greek, not Roman, not Latin. And the west, only the west, spoke Latin. In fact, the common language of the Roman Empire wasn't Latin, but Greek for most of the time. That's what the learned people used. So, but that's just a diversion. So, uh, the passage from Leviticus then goes on to describe what is needed for the Thanksgiving offering. So it describes the grain offerings and the animal offerings, which are not sin offerings, they are Thanksgiving offerings. In fact, the majority of sacrifices described through the Mosaic law are not sin offerings. They are thanksgiving offerings. We continue to forget that. And it finishes with this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall reap to the very edges of your field. You shall not reap to the... The not is a very important word in here. You shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest you shall leave them for the poor or for the alien. I am the Lord your God. The Leviticus passage moves directly from thankfulness for God's goodness, 
for God's generosity in providing this harvest to justice. In celebrating this Thanksgiving festival, the people of Israel are reminded of the ethical demand to not harvest the fields to their fullest extent, but to leave the edges for the poor and for the alien. And this is not a one-off, this is not a one-time, this appears in the Torah. Leviticus 23-22 is one of several places where the landed folk were to leave dropped bundles on the ground, were not to harvest all the way to the edges, were not to beat the olive trees, and were not to strip the grapevines completely. They were not to do this because they were once poor and landless, living as slaves in the land of Egypt, and God had rescued them and given this land to them. And because of God's generosity, they were to mirror that same generosity and compassion. So the Pentecost festival was not just a Thanksgiving festival. Those who celebrated it were reminded of God's justice and generosity. They were reminded that at the heart of the law, at the heart of Torah, is God's justice and compassion. They are reminded that they were all once landless slaves. And they were reminded that the landowners were to consider their land, their trees, their vineyards as a means for providing for the poor, not just for their own wealth and gain. And Luke chose this festival for the coming of the Spirit. He chose it deliberately. He could have left it where John had it on Easter Sunday, but he chose to place the giving of the Spirit on this festival when the true Israel is revealed. So what is Luke trying to tell us by placing the gifting of the Spirit on this festival? Well, I think that he is saying that the followers of Jesus are the ones who truly live out the Torah because they are the ones who truly live in the presence of God. Torah is not about getting into heaven. Torah is not about earning the right to be with God. Torah was given when the people of God already lived in the presence of God. It was given to people so that they knew how they should live with God in their, presence, in their midst. And he is saying that the ones who follow Jesus are the ones who truly live out the Torah because they are the ones who are living in the presence of God in the risen and ascended Jesus. And he is saying that the Spirit is given to enable people to truly live out, truly live out, live in that presence, to truly live out the Torah. And by placing that on Pentecost, he is saying that at the heart of living out the Torah in the presence of God, they are required to see that all they had was to be used as a means for providing for the poor. That's what the Spirit enabled them to do. And then Luke goes on to describe exactly how they did that. How did they do that? They sold everything they had, they held it in common, and they used it for the benefit of the poor. Luke says that. We kind of rush over that. But actually that's at the heart of how he describes that first Christian community. 
And and history tells us that those first Christian communities were both renowned and reviled for their compassion and generosity to the poor. That's what got James the Great, James the Just, the brother of our Lord. He was in the end stoned to death because the Judean authorities were just so annoyed by their compassion and generosity to the poor. These are the people that should be just ignored and swept one side. And when you have a group showing generosity and compassion, they are drawing attention to these people. They are treating them as people. And that causes all kinds of ructions in society. It's much better if you can treat them as non-human and just pretend they're not even there. That's the problem. Luke and John were not interested in telling stories for the sake of information. They were not that interested in when things happened and how many were present. They told their stories to invite their hearers so that their hearers would know what that story meant. And they told them to invite their hearers into that story. Each Pentecost... Luke hoped that his hearers would be reminded that because we are the ones who truly live in the presence of God, all we have is to be used as a means of providing for the poor. It's a pretty big lesson. And it's a message that too often the church has forgotten. Although there have always been those who reminded the rest of us of that call. The early Franciscans the early Dominicans, the Celtic saints, and today we can see the Catholic workers working around the world. One of the commentators I use uh, reminded us this week that in John's Gospel, the Spirit is not something we should seek to understand. We too often fall into the trap of trying to do that. But the Spirit is to be trusted That's what Luke was trying to say. That's what Paul is saying in his letter to the Corinthians. And that's certainly what John is saying. The Spirit is to be trusted. And this trust should be at the heart of our lives. The question then we are asked, in light of what I've said today, in light of what it would seem that Luke is saying to us, is what do we trust the Spirit to do? And do we recognise the extraordinary acts of the Spirit in our lives and in our world? And how are we invited to join in?